Hi, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Katie Morris, Managing Director of the Purple House Clinic. Hi, Katie. Thanks for coming on today. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Um, well, look, I, I just just to start off, first of all, um, just just so people don't read too much into the name of the business, uh, the Purple House bit, maybe. And explain what explain what the Purple House Clinic it does as a business or what it offers your customers or clients. And, and um, that'd be a good start. Uh, yeah, fine. So um, we um, offer two main streams of services. So one um, is mental health services. Um, so specialist assessments um, and therapies um, for people that are experiencing mental health difficulties, and that's children as, as well as adults. Um, and then the other mainstream of services that we offer um, is for neurodiversity. Um, so we offer um, a few different specialist types of assessments, um, for example, autism assessments, um, ADHD assessments, and ones that um, are often undertaken by educational psychologists, such as dyslexia assessments. Okay, and and what 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 percentage of the business um, is is catering to 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 children? You're under 18s, if you like. Is that I'm guessing that that has grown in over the last few years. That that side of it. Um, yeah, it's a really big part of our business. Um, it's at least um, 50%. And um, in some of the clinics, um, they, you know, they often uh, have a slightly different mix of services, you know, within the network. Um, and within some of the clinics, it may be slightly more than that. But certainly, um, COVID, I think, highlighted um, a lot of uh, concerns for different reasons. So um, perhaps on the kind of the neurodiversity side and the the learning side, you know, parents had children um, at home for the first time, um, observing, you know, their learning in particular, and um, that um, increased demand for um, those types of assessments. Um, but, uh, and also in terms of mental health, obviously, you know, uh, the COVID period um, put a lot of strain on people's mental health in general, but um, particularly children went through through a lot during during that time and all of the disruption that they had um, to their everyday lives. And then on top of that, of course, she had problems with people accessing services. So um, the NHS already had long waiting lists, but um, they got bigger during that time. Um, so all of that for us um, meant increased demand. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I guess I've, I've, I've seen that just myself, just over the last couple of years, three years, it's it's everyone is talking about mental health. Everyone's um, starting to address it. Everyone's speaking more honestly and truthfully about it. Um, I mean, all of that can only be a really, really good thing. And and then uh, and then off off the back of all of that, you're actually you're you're actually providing a service that can genuinely help. Um, I mean, it's good to talk about it and be open and honest with family, friends, and and uh, you know trusted sources. But to actually go and get professional help is sometimes you know absolutely necessary and the right thing to do and um and, and and i would say thinking back you know three or four years even you know yeah three or four to five years it it was really hard to see either a people talking about it you know everyone seemed to just hide it away um mm -hmm. and, and secondly it wasn't obvious about where you went to get help and and there's been a, just a massive change. I mean, would you agree, Katie? That, that's uh, look. I'm I'm not in the profession. I don't, you know, 
I, I don't have mental health problems or anything like that, but but it's just what I observe. I mean, am I right? Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. It's the, I think it's been a tidal wave of change. Um, again, you know, I think initiated through through COVID and maybe that, you know, unusual experience that we all went through was part of a prompt for people being more open. And, um, you know, there was such kind of strong strong changes in terms of connection um on social media you know between people it was a very supportive time in many ways wasn't it and um i think yeah awareness has increased massively um during that time both um for mental health difficulties and also um neurodiversity um and with that has meant that um the range of options for people getting help has increased as well um, you know, so there is a lot of people that have entered the mental well-being space um, in terms of providing services. Um, so that's been interesting um, as well. Um, so some of it's been very good and some of it's been not so good because, of course, it's it's opened the door for people that perhaps aren't um, qualified um, and um, promising certain things that they're not qualified to do so. Um, so that's been one of the shifts um, that we've we've noticed as well. And and uh, and um, there's a franchise side to your business now, which is the Purple House Clinic. You know the franchise. Before we come on to that and talk, uh, and I do want to talk about that. I'm really interested in that side. Can you just tell me a bit about your background? How you know where you've come from, what you've studied, and and just just why you've ended up in this place that that you're in. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so I started off um, undertaking a an undergraduate degree in psychology, which is a, a general course, um, and then decided to go down the route of um, clinical psychology um, and did a, a master's degree and then a doctorate degree in that. Um, it's quite a long route to training. Um, I wasn't qualified until I was 28. Um, so it's a bit of a, an old slog in terms of a career to um, pursue. Um, but, you know, a very rewarding one once you get there. Um, and as um, most people do when they qualify, I entered the NHS and um, worked within um, a specialist service for children and adolescents um, and very much enjoyed um, working within that team um, and um, helping lots of people um, with various mental health issues, um, but specialised myself in working with complex trauma um so that was my that was my background in terms of a clinician great well you're uh and uh, j just tell me how many years does it take to to qualify i mean people normally think about gps and and the length of time it takes to become a gp and so on how does that equate with with where you've you know how, how many years is it that whole process to get you to where you are yeah, so I, I did um, eight years worth of degree study, so three years undergrad, two years master's and three year doctorate, um, and then a bit of um, a time in, in the middle um, gaining work experience. The, the doctorate part, the qualifying part is very hard to get onto, there's only a limited number of places, so usually people have to work a couple of years, you know, doing voluntary work and things to gain experience in order to get on that course, so yeah, it was about 10 years for me from start to finish. 
Yeah, so it's it, it's definitely a journey that once you kind of need to make a decision that you're going going on that journey, right? So you don't want to you don't want to get to the end to be like, oh, this is not the right thing for me. That's that'd be no, difficult. So, that's right. And yeah. I think there's a bit of a uh, running joke within the profession that it's not necessarily the most skilled people that get there in the end. It's the ones that persevere the most because it's such a such a long winded um, career route. So yes, you do have to really want it and and keep going and. Um, you know, take a lot of knockbacks, you know, in the process because it's very hard to get onto the courses. And 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 so then Katie, take me from that point. So that, that that's how your career started in the NHS and and the quali- you know, qualifying for that. But um when did you when did the thought of starting your own business, doing your own thing, when did that come into it and how did that happen? Yeah, well, it was it was probably um, relatively soon um, into my qualified career. So I was probably only about three years in and um, became quite disillusioned with the NHS, um, as a lot of people do, sadly, Um, you know, for all the reasons that people commonly talk about, you know, getting bogged down in systems and red tape and um, for me, it was it was quite an emotional journey because um, I could see the impact of all of that red tape and difficulties in the system to the people that mattered, you know, which was the young people and families that we worked with. And um, I found it very upsetting that we couldn't provide the services that we felt they needed. Um, and I think after a while, you know, it got on top of me and I couldn't see you know, I was quite early on in my career in a way, and I, I couldn't see me, you know, working in the NHS until I was 70. I just thought this is not viable um, and um, was was too stressful and too frustrating. And I realised that I couldn't change the system. Um, you know, I realised that I, I probably tried in the early days. You know, I was probably a bit feisty and I would speak up in meetings and it was the odd time where I probably sent an email to the chief exec of the trust and things like that. But um, I realized quite early on that I wasn't going to be able to change the system. And th- and that's when you decided leave the system, start your own system in a, in a way, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, looking back now, you know, I was, I don't know, I was perhaps um, 31, 32 and there's lots of naivety associated with that. And when I look back, um, I think especially now having created my own system and being on that journey, I actually have far more respect and understanding for the NHS system, because, of course, then I've stood in the shoes of managers and um, execs and realised how hard it is to create a system that works well. Um, And of course, you know, I have such... um, Uh, understanding and gratefulness for the fact that we have the NHS and you know what amazing thing it is you know in general um, for the UK you know it's it's one of the best health services um, in the world Um, but the problems that were there for me were enough to do something different. And and so the Purple House Clinic was born, right? And that and that was what ten, just over ten years. Well, eleven years coming up to eleven years ago. Yeah, right? I think it was about. I'd done a bit of private work um, beforehand, but it was two thousand thirteen. Um, that year, we just went all out, really. So we were um, heavily pregnant with our first child, and my husband worked in the education system. And we just decided to uproot and move and and give in our jobs and uh, start from scratch, really, with a with a tiny baby, as you do. 
<laughs> wow. And 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 so Katie, was that was that you and your partner? Were were you like I know your co-founder of the business is is yeah. um is that the other co-founder? Yeah, so yeah. Steve, Steve, my husband is the co-founder and, and his background was in education. So felt similar to, you know, sort of frustrations with with um that system and um, yeah, we we decided to do something new together, and we've we've so we've done it together. We've we've built the franchise system together. Brilliant. And um, the name. Let, let's talk about quickly about the name. So the the Purple House Clinic. How how did you how did you come up with that, and 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 how did you kind of decide on that, and and how many different names do you remember? Because it's you know i've got two kids and and you you are you obviously as you say you had a you, you were probably thinking about names for for your for your baby right and <laughs> yeah. uh, at the same time and and this is another kind of a baby a new business um and were were you kind of doing the same things at the same time going well here, here's a list of kids names um which we don't know yet and here's a list of business names and and we need to we need a pick on both sides at some point how, how did how did that all work yeah, absolutely. Um, we um, we well, I think we had um, we had at least two false starts. I think because um, I was doing a bit of private work um, with the same you know com limited company before we actually went out there on our own and developed our own service. You know, I was just doing a bit of private work on the side, if you like, whilst working the NHS. And I think we had a couple of false starts with names. So I think the very first one um, was making sense um that um yeah I really don't like now so I'm so glad we changed that <laughs> um I can't remember what the other one um was now but probably equally as bad um so um yeah Purple House was actually suggested by a dear friend of mine and um the 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 rationale was um that the color purple is often associated with um therapeuticness if that's a word um, and it just feels nice and calming and, and you know, kind of soothing and, and welcoming. And um, a house, you know, um, should be, it's not unfortunately for everyone, but it, it should be a sanctuary and a place where you feel safe. So we wanted the name to kind of create a sense that um, of, of calmness and, and being therapeutic and safety. Um, and it was also, it was important for us that the name was approachable for children as well because you know if you take the example of the old company name making sense you know that's a terrible name for children to say oh I'm going to making sense you know to get some help but saying I'm going to purple house to get some help is um much more kind of um age appropriate I think for them no I no, I, I love it as a name I'm always I'm always intrigued um about how people come to choose a name and a brand um for a new business so uh, no, that's uh, that's that's yeah, that's a good that's a good story. And um, so so that that got started. And how how quickly did you gain ground with that business? Like what? Tell me a bit about the kind of the maybe uphill struggles, bumps in the road you had um, as as you built that that business. And it's obviously been going now for, um, you know, for nearly 11 years. So yeah. it's it's worked out. But um, yeah, what, what were some of the struggles in the beginning? Um, yeah, so it, it did, um, it did, you know, build up very quickly. Um, we had a, a vision from from the start that we didn't want it to be about just me working in private practice, um, you know, which of course, a lot of people do do, you know, there's lots of sole practitioners that are working out there and just have the business as themselves. 
Um, but we didn't want that. You know, we wanted to grow a team um, of uh, clinicians from different disciplines and um, to be able to offer a range of services because, of course, yourself as an individual, you only have a limited range of um, particular expertise. Um, so that so that was our vision. And um, I've had a lot of contacts through working um, through the NHS and the way that people often work um, in private practice is that um, it's very common to be um, a self-employed contractor. Um, so often people are working in the NHS and then they'll be, you know, they'll work for a company, a private provider and, um, you know, as a self-employed contractor for maybe like three hours a week, you know, something quite small like that. So we um, built up a team of, um, we call them associates, these clinicians um, in our business. And so we built up a team of associates fairly quickly over the first year or two, I think something like 20, 25 um, uh, clin clinical associates. Um, so it meant that we were offering quite a broad range of services and, you know, the business was growing really. So we went through various transitions, you know, kind of up upscaling premises and, and things like that to catch up with it. Um, but then at some point kind of, along the way um maybe i think it was around 2016 because um it was when we were having our second child as these things <laughs> always happen um we thought about franchising um so um and that came about really because um there had been a lot of growth in the business um but we felt that the geographical spread was becoming quite broad and we were losing touch of um the kind of personal relationships, you know, both, both with the clinicians and also with the clients. Um, and we wanted to grow, but we wanted to grow in a way that retains that quality control and those personal relationships. And somebody told us about franchising and uh, we thought, well, what a great model because um, it enables growth. You know, you can have enormous ambition with um, owning a franchise network, um, which is great. Um, but um, it means that your franchise owners um, can nurture and those individual relationships and retain that quality control locally. And we just loved the idea of having local clinics that were locally owned across the country. We never wanted to be a referral agency where um, it was all faceless and, you know, kind of based in London. And that just wasn't what it wasn't what our vision was at all. Right. And so 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 franchising was born effectively here. And um and and um so yeah, it's all tied it's all tying in nicely. <laughs> um with 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 uh, your num num with your second child and um and then and and so what was your franchising journey like? So you, you came across franchising, you obviously looked at it as a model and it was like ticked a lot of boxes. Uh how did you then how did you then move that forward um, and actually become uh, a brand or a franchise that you could actually go out and offer uh, a business model to people in other parts of the country? Um, yeah, well, um, it, it actually got initiated in in the end, um, you know, uh, through a bit of um, a coincidence. So we'd, we started thinking about it in 2016. We were kind of had it in the background for a while. And then at some point in 2017, um, an old friend of mine that I trained with um, contacted me um, 
she'd been watching our journey on social media and she basically just sent me a message that literally said can you franchise me up in Scotland and she didn't know we were thinking about franchising so it was a pure coincidence um, and so we were like yeah of course great <laughs> let's do it um, so that's what we did and they um, opened up in January 2018 so that that was the start of our franchising journey. Brilliant. Well, I mean, there's there's no better way to get into franchising than to have a, a pilot, what we call a pilot franchisee like that, um, because that's where you learn so much um, about how you need to structure things, communication, yeah. uh, processes, operationally, uh, branding, all of that kind of stuff. It, it all comes together at that point. And yeah. so and, 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 and at, at what point were you, I guess, really truly confident in the model that that you could actually go out and 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 maybe push put this in front of other people that you either wanted to or attract people that were total strangers but obviously had to you know they had they had to be uh qualified uh, i guess to become franchisees to a certain level and um and i you know i was going to come on to that but yeah cover cover that uh, for me first if you could um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's very important um, because um, you have to, like you say, you have to prove the model and um, to make sure that this can be rolled out. Um, so we so we had that first franchise in 2018 and actually six months later, we had two more that followed um, and they were existing people that worked as associates for us in our, our own practice and they wanted their own uh, franchises. So we ended up having three people, three franchises on that initial pilot um, that ran for um, two and a half years. And, um, you know, that was like, you know, most new franchisors, that was an opportunity to um, refine our systems and to learn about what it was like when you implement those systems over a larger scale and when you're trying to communicate those systems to other people and of course um you know everything has to be documented obviously um and you're building this network for scale then at that point um so that was um you know a really informative process and of course when we reached the end of that we were then right bang smack in the middle of covid um and um, I suppose ordinarily, you know, at that point, we would have started thinking about recruitment. But um, in 2020, it was, um, as for, you know, most franchise networks, it was a time of survival. And we had to focus on prioritising support for the franchisees that we already had and ensuring that, um, you know, they would get through that, that time. And indeed, you know, our own clinic that we um, still had at that time. Um, so, so that, that was our priority in that year. And then, um, in terms of personal life at the back end of 2020, um, I then became pregnant with our third child who we had in July, 21. And so recruitment was paused then for, um, obvious reasons. Um, so we didn't then start thinking about it really until the back end of 22. Um, so relatively recently, um, in terms of, okay, let's build this franchise network now. But what what that has meant is that, you know, we had a good four, five years um, of really consolidating all of those systems. And within that period, the um, we did actually we did sneak in a fourth franchisee, uh, I think weeks before I gave birth, actually, <laughs> um, who had approached us and, and wanted to join. Um, 
but um you know those franchisees those first four they they grew beyond all expectation in that in that time and as we were saying right early on um that you know covid changed a lot of things increased demands and and we've changed our services you know we've adapted over time as well you know we've we've we're we're doing a lot more um, neurodiversity work than we ever did in the beginning as well, kind of adapting to demand. Okay, no, that's that's great. Uh, and tell me about the the profile of your franchisees. Um, I'm guessing they have to have they have to be qualified to a certain level. You, you know, you're a qualified clinical psychologist, right? But but your franchisees, what's the absolute baseline? uh qualification kind of levels that someone needs to have to be able to consider the purple house clinic as a, you know as a franchise and as a business in their area um yeah so um i'm a clinical psychologist and um, we don't just accept clinical psychologists there are um several different types of um pra practicing psychologists um for example forensic psychologists counseling educational um, so we accept um, all of those um, and um, other mental health um, professionals as well. So that might include um, mental health nurses or occupational therapists, um, psychiatrists, so um, or, or psychotherapists. So um, people that are you know well qualified um, within that field. And so you don't have to be a doctor as such. No, I guess what I'm. Thinking. No. Yeah that's that's yeah. right yeah there's a bit there's a bit more of a range there okay all right good no that, that's good and what's um in, in terms of in terms of the uk how many franchisees do you believe it would support what what's what does that kind of growth model look like what's your vision because obviously the purple house clinic and and what you're trying to achieve it, it it's aimed at helping people um mm -hmm. so you know, I guess that's one way to look at a vision is the more people you can help, the better uh, in the right way, in the right place, in the right environment, et cetera, et cetera. That's all. That's a great vision. But turning that into actual numbers and, and locations around the UK, what what does that what does that look like for you? Um, yeah, so um, our model um, is very much about having substantial services um, that have large multidisciplinary teams so it's that sense of it's it's a place that you can go where um you can get a range of expertise and a range of services and all of the people that work there are highly qualified um so in terms of kind of territories how that tends to um kind of map out is that each territory is about a kind of population size of around about five hundred thousand. so it does tend to be you know your cities um more um, and um, we have a, a vision to go up to 23 franchises um, within the next three years. So we've actually got seven now. We've recruited three in the last six months. Um, so our recruitment plan um, is, is roughly six a year um, for the next few years. And we'll, we will be targeting those um, major cities. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, no, no, that's great. And uh... What 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 would you say in from a franchise sense? Um, what's been the biggest kind of hurdle that you faced and 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 obviously overcome um, either personally or as or as a company? Um, I think probably the biggest kind of 
question mark and or the, or the hardest decision was when um we decided to close our own original clinic um at the start of 2022 and it was a largely a personal decision so by that point you know we had three children which the youngest of which was a baby and um you know we were in the position where we were running two companies and although they were obviously <laughs> related um actually the the roles of running those two were very very different you know so one was a clinic and I was being a psychologist and managing other, you know, clinicians day to day and managing referrals and things. And then the other was franchising. And that is a completely different career in its its own right. And I remember that was it's probably the best piece of advice that I've ever been given in franchising, which was right in 2016 when we first connected with a franchise solicitor. And she said that said franchising is a career in its own right. And that's something that um, I've definitely kind of learned through time. And it was just at that point where I felt I had to do either or and I had to make a choice. And obviously because of the demands of family life as well. And um, we chose to close our clinic rather than to franchise it out because I didn't want to close doors for the future. So our territory was in the place where we live our clinic was in the place where we live and um i didn't want to be in a situation in the future where actually i couldn't then reopen a clinic you know if i wanted to on my doorstep um and actually the premises that we had was very handy and we converted that to our head office premises so um but it was it was a hard decision to make because um you know, you put a lot, a lot into growing any business. And so it was kind of like shutting our baby down. And of course, making that decision to go in a slightly different direction in terms of my own career. So it was a big decision. Yeah, no, I think I think I was what you've said there is really good advice for anyone listening who um, is either looking to franchise their business or always in, you know, the early stages of being a franchisor is you, you do have to you do have to understand um and you will realize that 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 franchising is a totally different business to the business um mm -hmm. that you started built successfully and have franchised and um and 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 at some point there is a choice to be made in that do you keep running effectively what's the corporate business alongside the franchise business or or do you you know do you throw yourself in as a as a franchisor at that point and mm. you know it's obviously clear 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 what you did and and I think a lot of people try and juggle both and that can cause a lot of stress. I, I know that, you know, talk, talking to lots of people. So it's, um, it's very, very good advice to, to understand. That the, yeah. The and it was, you like. know, as soon as it was hard to make that um, choice, but um, you know, because it, it impacted on people, it impacted on the staff that we had, although we were able to transfer most of them to a neighboring clinic. And of course the clients as well, you know, it was a really super hard decision to make you know, and quite distressing, you know, um, having to make those decisions. Um, but in terms of the wider picture, you know, it was 100% the right decision. And it brought a lot of relief personally to me once that decision was made. And it meant that I can put a, could put 100% into the franchising. Um, and, you know, ultimately, we felt we owed that to the franchisees as well, because by this point, they built sizable businesses and they needed that support so it was the right decision yeah yeah and and to any if anyone's listening katie or knows anyone who who this 
um, business franchise this franchise would appeal to or make sense for can you just tell us where the best place to start to get some information about this would be like a website address or, or you know or anything that would be helpful for people to go to to yeah so um the um the best place is to look on our um franchising webpage so it's um a page off our main website which is www.purplehouseclinic.co.uk and if you just go to join us and then franchising um, you can read all about the opportunity and you can read videos and testimonials um, and all sorts. And um, then, you know, we'd be very happy to to follow that up with conversations with people. Yeah, no, that's 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 great, um, Katie. And, you know, ho hopefully someone listening will will get in touch because um, because what you're in terms of finding franchisees for you. I know what it's like because I've been you know, I've been working with franchisors for nearly 20 years um, and you're you're after a very niche uh type of person um that they've they've got to be able to tick a lot of boxes and uh you know some franchises can appeal to almost anyone mm -hmm. walking on any street um your yours is pretty niche and yeah. specialized um and you need a special person as well uh so it 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 makes it more difficult on one hand um but but on another hand you know exactly kind of what you're looking for. So that can make it easier. So there's a bit of a, you know, you got a bit of a double-edged sword on that. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, and what does, you know, as a, as a franchisor, um, how do you define success? Like what's, what's the, if you and Steve are sitting down over dinner and, and you're saying, or you're thinking, if you are already or if you're going to be like and, and you're saying wow we've made it like what does that what will that mean or what does that already mean to you what does that success mean well I mean I, th I think success is a very personal um, thing certainly um, and um, it may be different uh, for Steve than it is, is for me so I can only talk for myself but um, for me um, it's about people um, so first and foremost, it's about those people that we're helping and that we're providing something extraordinarily valuable to them and for the rest of their lives. Um, the most rewarding thing ever is when I read testimonials from clients. And um, the thing is about being in this line of work is that you can literally change people's lives. And um, it's very humbling and um, amazing to, um, to read those stories. Um, so I think, although maybe I can't put a number on it, you know, just reaching as many uh, people as possible and, um, you know, giving them those valuable services is is um, a large part of that uh, concept of um, success. Um, you know, on, on a, from a kind of more business um, perspective, I think, um, you know, like most business owners, you have kind of targets and KPIs and things that you're aiming for. Um, and um, for me, if we, you know, if we were to have around about kind of 30 clinics um, within the UK, you know, that would feel absolutely amazing, um, you know, and something that I don't think any other business um, is doing in our field. I don't think there is any other organisation that has such a large coverage um, over the UK um, of this type of provision. Um, so yeah, so that that would feel awesome. <laughs> well, I think Katie, that's a great that's a great note to end on, actually. And um, it's been really lovely talking to you and getting to understand your story, um, like properly, because there's only so much you can find out 
reading online or looking on a LinkedIn profile. So it's just been it's just been great to 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 understand all of that. And um, I you know I wish I wish you you know really so well in the future. And um, it's it's just a it's a brilliant, lovely business to be involved in. As you say, you're you're helping people, and there's a great need for it. So you know, again, on that side, just I love it. So um, yeah. So thank thanks so much, Katie, and um, and and hopefully we'll um, hopefully we'll meet up sometime in the future. Franchising is a small a small world, really, in, in many senses. So yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, thanks, Katie. Have a have a great rest of your day. Thank you, you too. And thanks very much for having me. Take care. Bye now.